You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, why don't you guys turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes 10 and aloha and welcome to you. If you are uh, visiting, we're glad that you're here and you're kind of looking for a, a place to put your roots in as far as the church. We would love for you to do that. This is a place where we welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we are a church that loves Jesus and we uh, study his word because um, the Bible says, <clears throat> God says that he esteems his name that, that he, his name, which is high, exalted, lifted up. Many Jews wouldn't even say his name. They were afraid to pronounce it in honor of him. Yeah, but this word, he esteems it above his very name. And so that is why we do what we do. That is why we study through books of the Bible. And so uh, hopefully you're making your way to Ecclesiastes. And we are nearing the end of our study in Ecclesiastes. And what we are looking at is life that is done under the sun. And we know that life under the sun is vanity. It is mentioned very frequently. If you read through Ecclesiastes, you will not get very far without running across the word vanity, which in its original language, uh, in the original language here in the Hebrew, it actually simply means meaningless, meaningless, pointless, vanity. And so Solomon <clears throat> As king, with unlimited resources at his fingertips, he was able to indulge in everything we wish we could indulge in, able to enjoy all the things that we wish we could enjoy. He is able to see if he can find purpose in the things that we seek to find purpose in within our own lives. And after indulging and pursuing after everything, after years and years of exploration, and experimentation under the sun, now is an old man closing out this book of wisdom, this wisdom literature. He is now revealing to us conclusions that he has discovered along the way. And what he impacted for us <clears throat> last week is that everything that has come to you has first passed through the hands of God. So whether good things have come into your life or evil or wickedness has come into your life, it had to first pass through the hands of a sovereign God. You can't argue with that. It's, it's at the beginning of chapter 9. And he, he continuously is hitting upon this idea of God is sovereign no matter what happens to you in your life. And that is good. Because if God is sovereign, if in fact he does control everything that, that comes to us, that everything that happens to us must first pass through the hands of an almighty God, that means that in the midst of your suffering, God's sovereignty brings purpose to your life. It does. Because apart from the sovereignty of God, suffering is pointless. Suffering is vanity. It's meaningless, but we know that not to be the case because of what Solomon has shared with us. And because of this, because of suffering, because of difficulty, because of hardship that comes to our life and blessing that comes to our life through the hands of God, he says, so enjoy your life. Enjoy. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy a glass of wine. Enjoy your spouse, enjoy your life because your life is a gift from God. And just because he closes with and this idea that just because something is popular, just because there's momentum behind something, just because everyone loves it, everyone's signing up for it, like, yeah, I want to be a part of that, doesn't mean that it is true and it doesn't mean that it is right. And so here in Ecclesiastes 10 is where we pick it up. Keeping all of those things in mind, Solomon says this in verse 10. If you could all stand for the reading of the word of God. Got a frog in my throat this week. Sorry about that. So might sound like I'm a teenage boy. I promise I'm not going through puberty. All right. I think I'm past that. 
Um, and if you're a teenage boy in here, we love you, all right? Not hitting on you, not hating on you. <clears throat> Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in low places. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. And who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the the charmer. That's an awesome verse we should all memorize. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your prince princes feast in the mornings. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your prince princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness drunkenness through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks bread is made for laughter wine gladdens the heart money answers everything and even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bed curse the rich for the for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to make much of your name. And so as we gather collectively as a church, just one week away from celebrating Christ, what you've done, we want to come and to remember who you are, Jesus, and what you've done. And that as we continue to study through Ecclesiastes today, we ask help from the Holy Spirit. I ask that you would give me the words to say, the strength to to, uh, be faithful to what you've called me to do and what you've called all of us to do, and that is to be sharpened, to be transformed, and to be renewed, and to be corrected in righteousness through the word of God. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. God, would you be glorified? Would you be magnified? And maybe we come this morning with decisions to be faced, to be made. Struggles that we are dealing with. Lord, we ask that we would not live in folly, but we would live in wisdom. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Warning signs. Caution labels are something that I pretty much used to ignore for the most part of my life, I'm sure like many of you, until one day I was at McDonald's and I got a Happy Meal for for one of my boys and he said, hey dad, can you open up the the Happy Meal because it was wrapped in this plastic package and I said, sure, I'll I'll do that, no problem. And so right as I was about to open it and, and, and give him the toy, I read on the bag a label, a warning label, a caution label. That, that said on this warning label, um, warning, this bag is not meant to be consumed. It's like, really? 
It's pretty obvious, right? I mean, who would think, who would ever say, yeah, I'm just going to consume this plastic bag. And, it all, and in, in addition to that warning, it also said that this bag is not a toy. Of course, like kids, who would want to play with a, you know, like a plastic little bag? They, they'd be quick to play with the toy. And so then ever since then, I've, my eyes have been open to <clears throat> warning labels and caution, caution labels. And I remember one, a uh, few years back, I was getting a Duraflame log from, from uh, like the, you know, the department store. So I go and I, I grab the log and I take the log home and it said, warning, risk of fire on the log. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, of course, like that's why I'm buying it. That's what I want. But it said, warning, risk of fire on my chainsaw. Chainsaw that I had, uh, it said, uh, warning, do not use hands to stop chainsaw. I'm like, what moron stopped a chainsaw with their hand, right? <clears throat> Red on a Q-tips warning label. Q-tips. Why do you need a warning label for Q-tips? They're like two inches long, soft on both ends. Come on, like... Sure enough, it said this, do not insert swab into ear canal. Then what is a Q-tip for, right? If you're not supposed to insert into ear, then what is the purpose of a Q-tip? I'm still confused to this day. I have no idea why that is the case on their warning label. Now, even though most of these warning labels are obvious and true, the sad thing is enough People had to do something stupid with what they've had in order for a company to say, yeah, don't use your hand to stop the chainsaw, right? Don't eat the bag. Play with the toy, McDonald's has to say. Enough people had to do that for there to be a warning label. And so caution is directed to us, even culturally, no matter how obvious it might be. And now as we come to Ecclesiastes, there is warning that is given. It is simple, it is obvious, yet it is profound and very needed. Because all of us, all of us, you and I both, all of us tend to think we are wiser than we really are, right? We tend to think we are smarter. We tend to think we are wise. And usually those who think they're wise are really not wise. And those who know they're not wise are probably the wisest of us all. It's just reality. And this warning is given because all of us do tend to think we are more wise than we are. And there are cautionary truths that we are going to deal with in Ecclesiastes 10 that are given Not because only are they obvious, but they are very needed. Maybe most of us haven't stopped a chainsaw with our bare hands. But we've done the spiritual equivalent of that. We've spiritually, in our walks with God, or maybe no walk with God at all, have done things that are really stupid, self-harming, and not wise at all. And so Solomon addresses wisdom here and foolishness, and it would do us well to listen to what the preacher is asking of us. That is, that wisdom is better, or as we say here on the islands, wisdom is more better than foolishness, right? So as we approach this text, let me ask you, are there areas in your life right now, in my life right now, that we are not using wisdom? Are there areas that we are living foolishly? Are there things that are in our life that we have a warning from God that God has spoken to you and to me and he's said, this is what you should be doing and and, and if you do anything other than this, it's going to harm you, it's going to affect you and are you listening or are you doing what you want to do? Are you considering the caution in scriptures, the warning in scriptures? Has caution been given to you through the word of God? Has caution been given to you by your community group? Has caution been given to you by your parents? Has caution been given to you by friends? 
it would be good for us to listen, to read the warning labels in Scripture. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes is quick to remind us that we are not as good or as wise as we think we are. Because before we get into uh, Ecclesiastes 10, we need to pick it up at the last verse in Ecclesiastes 9. Wisdom, he says, is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So what does he say here? How many sinners? One sinner. One sinner. And what does this one sinner do? Just one sinner. Well, the one little measly sinner, what does this one sinner do? Destroys much good. And this is why he says what he says in verse 10. Now, make a connection between verse 18 of chapter 9. Now, going into verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. All it takes is one. One fly and the perfume to make the perfume reek. That it didn't matter how beautiful the perfume was. It didn't matter how expensive its value might have been when it was purchased. It didn't matter, matter how great it may have swelled or smelled, swelled, smelled. Or as elegant as the bottle It may have looked in the bottle or its color. If there is a fly in the perfume, it ruins the perfume. It makes it reek. Like a beautiful meal that is set before you, whether you're at a friend's house or whether you're at a a nice restaurant, right? You sit down and this beautiful meal is brought to you that is set before you. If there is a hair laying across your plate, are you like, ah, no big deal? If you are, repent. It's disgusting. And it's worse because when you're at a friend's house, what do you do? I mean, that's just, it's awkward. You're like, yeah, I mean, I don't want to offend them and it's kind of weird. But, but I mean, I, I, I mean it's a, that's, just a, that's just the worst ever when you're at a friend's house and that happens. But it doesn't matter how much money went and work went into the plate. It doesn't matter how perf- per- perfect <clears throat> everything was made or how nice the presentation looks. A hair in your food defiles your food. Dead fly and the ointment ruins the smell and the beautiful aroma of the perfume. What Solomon is sharing with us, our preacher here in Ecclesiastes is declaring a little folly, just a little bit of folly, destroys much good, destroys much wisdom. One sinner can destroy much good. Now, I would say a majority of us are not out to destroy one another's lives or our own life, right? We aren't. We aren't trying to live in such a way where, like, I want to ruin them and I want to ruin them and I want to ruin me and let's just ruin everyone. Most of us do not do that. Yet, here we are declared that sin destroys much good. So don't think, oh, that's for the person, that's for the other people, those sinners out there who are intentionally doing it. No, no, no. One sinner, a little bit of sin, a little bit of folly destroys much good. So that includes all of us. And it's not just as obvious as we think it is. Because the reason people do this, I believe, is what Proverbs 14, 12 says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to you and I. There is a way that seems right in our perspective on life and the way we think, the way things should be done and the way we feel events should unfold. We think our way is better. We think we know more than God. We raise our pride at God. But but Proverbs says that way leads to death. That when we live our own way, it doesn't end well. There is a way that seems right to you and me, but from our perspective, that way leads to death. 
One sinner destroys much good, so it takes one spouse to ruin a marriage. It takes one bad business venture to destroy a great company. It takes one sin for those who are in ministry to forever disqualify them of ministry within the church. It takes one friend to not forgive and to hold on to bitterness and to destroy a relationship. One sinner destroys much good. Dead flies ruin the perfume. It's obvious to note that a small amount of sin can bring so much pain and destruction in our life. You see, you know, I'm not talking about a mistake here. We all make mistakes. You know, we left the Pop-Tart in the toaster too long. Mistake, not a sin. We all have quirkinesses and weirdness about us. When we say sin, we're talking about an offense to God. When we say sin, we are talking about failure to give God the glory that is due his name. When we say sin, we are saying to God that my way, God, of living life is better than what you would have for me. That is sin. And Paul rebuking the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5, specifically dealing with sin, sexual sin that was rampant in the church at that time, says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That is to say, do you not know that a little bit of sin can destroy a lot of good that is happening? That you can't control your sin? That you can't keep your sin in a little box over here and be like, this is my little comfort area of sin. This is when things go bad. I pull up Ben and Jerry's and we have a party late at night when, when I'm depressed, right? Or when, when my spouse isn't pleasing me, I'm going to flirt with this person at work. Or, but that's just at work and that's just in this little category. Or um, <clears throat> I'm just going to revert to doing things that I like and, 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 and pleasure and things that are sin. But it's just, it's just this little box in my life and it's not going to affect the other areas of life. One area of sin affects all of our worship to God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We can't control it. We can't manage it. You know what needs to be done with our sin? It needs to be crucified with Christ. It's been said that be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So let me ask you, what are the dead flies that are in the ointment of your life and the perfume of your life? What things are in your life or areas that you are not listening to Jesus? Are you trusting in God? Are you obeying what you know God has required of you? Don't be a fool. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't have to lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You don't have to say and in and, and your mind and your heart and try to figure out and try to improvise the plans in your life that have gone astray or the things that have been difficult in your life, trying to navigate them, trying to make sense of them and trying to say within your life, God, I know better than you. That is a dangerous place for us to be because anything else other than trusting in God stinks. It reeks. And if he says we continue down this path of foolishness, verse 2, he says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, a fool's heart to the left. Um, It's not like, you know, conservative versus liberal, Republican and Democrat, right? Donkey and elephant. It's not that. What he is saying here is, uh, at this time, right people who are right-handed or the right hand was a place of honor. Uh, the left hand was a place of dishonor. So if you were left-handed today um, and you lived though during this time, you would be dishonorable. 
saying. I know it's kind of weird, but so people who are left-handed would learn to do everything with their right hand so they would not be dishonored. So that's what he's saying there. Um, uh, Verse 3, even when a fool walks on the road. So even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. So even if a fool, even if the idiot is on the right path, he is going in the right direction. He's like, uh, he's been a bum, but maybe he's applying for a job now, and he's been lazy, and he's fully capable of taking a job. So maybe he is on the right road. He's going in the right direction. Uh, he is an idiot along the way. Now, does that mean to say? No, because the idiot on the road says to everyone that he is a fool. So there you go. So he's on the road, going in the right direction, yet along the way he's like, yeah, I'm an idiot, I'm a moron, so what, I don't care. And if anger against the ruler rises against you, verse 4, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. A gentle answer turns away wrath. It says you can't run from those in authority. Because you're going to run from one place to another, but there's going to be authority there too. And the way to deal with that is to be where you're at. And so we continue now in verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground, like slaves. Solomon, who is king at this time, mind you, observes that even in his life, scandal is elevated and worshipped, and righteousness and wisdom never makes the tabloids. It's never popular. It's always suppressed. It's no different today, right? Right? We live in a time today when wisdom and truth and morality are suppressed and looked upon as stupid and, and foolishness and recklessness and idiocy is elevated and worshipped and is celebrated. So um, Miley Cyrus can be on national television half-naked dancing and twerking, which twerking is not dancing. It's a whole disgusting category of its own. And yet people celebrate and they love it. And they're like, oh, look at her go. That's so great. And, and, and everyone loves it, right? Or you can have an athlete open up about his sexual preference on homosexuality and he comes out about it and he shares his point of view or someone in support of it and, and the media takes it and culturally everyone's like, look how great that is. Look at this. We're celebrating with them. That's great. That's great. That's great. And then you can have guys, um, you know, with, with long beards on TV, right? They come out on TV and, and, and just... I just can't help but think of like the Duck Dynasty show where they come out and they just not forcing their view, but just saying their opinion of what God has said in the word. Yeah, we think marriage should be between a man and a woman. Their show is almost shut down and people hate it while Miley Cyrus is twerking and everyone is celebrating these other lifestyles. Solomon says, is it an evil? This is an evil that takes place under the sun. And we shouldn't sit in our righteous high throne saying, man, look how stupid our society is. We should be praying for them. We should be cautioning them, loving them, warning them, and heeding the warning ourselves. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put light in for darkness and darkness in for light, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah says to you and to me, whoa, take caution. Be careful, even within your own life, when you know something is right and you make it out to be evil. And when you know something is evil, you make it out to be right. That, you live, that we live a life 
as Israel did during the time of the judges. We did what was right in our own eyes. Those who should be princes and heroes, Solomon says, are on the ground like slaves. Those who live in foolishness and wisdom are treated like princes. And he says, I mean, really, don't get caught up in the hype. Look at verse 17. The words of the wise are heard in quiet, better than the shouts of a ruler among fools. That was 17, nine, chapter 9, verse 17. That those who have a microphone shouldn't have one. And they're the loudest. And he says, this is an evil that is under the sun. Now what he does here, moving on, in verse 8, he gets real practical. I mean, super practical. <clears throat> he who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. <clears throat> the iron is blunt, the one who does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Um, here we have this guy who digs holes for a living, wakes up every day, sets his alarm clock, Wakes up same time every day, puts his car hearts on, gets his hard hat on, goes out to work, and digs pits for a living. And then one day, he falls in the pit that he's digging, and he dies. Then there's this other guy who breaks through walls. I guess he's like demolition crew. And then one day, he's breaking through a wall. Snake bites him. Does that every day, part of his life. If you're going to go chop on wood, he says, that's what you do. A guy should sharpen his axe. And I love what he says that doesn't matter how good of a charmer you are of snakes, that, you know, if you don't do it right, then you're going to die. So you can be as prepared as you want to be. You can be in the routine of daily life as much as you are. But he says you still need wisdom. Let wisdom be an advantage to you in daily life. Don't just get so comfortable in your own skin that you think, oh, I mean, yeah, I'm just, I mean, I know better. I mean, I know what to do, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and then I'll be set, and I'll be fine, and everything's going to work out just great. No, no, no. He said, be careful. Let wisdom be an advantage to you. Don't live life your way, but live life the way that God has designed it. So he says in verse 11, that you can know what is right and wise, but not do it in the end. That is really what he's saying there. And in the end, it is going to catch up to you. It is going to come and is going to bite you. And this really is pride. So we shouldn't live on our own strength, but we should live in light of the wisdom that comes from above. Really what he says here is wise People are prepared and they have a plan in what they're doing. They are mindful of what is set before them and the practical areas of life. A good logger sharpens his axe before he goes to work. Yes, he might be buff. Yes, he might be strong. But he's going to work effectively if he sharpens his axe. Likewise, a godly person, those of us who love Jesus, should live in such a way that we know the responsibilities that are set before us. And with the responsibilities that are set before us, we are mindful of them and we don't live on our own strength, but we use and let wisdom have its way with us and we are sharpened. We are prepared. We know what is set before us. This practically the way that it, has worked off, worked out its way. My life is when I take my son to school. Some, there are certain days <clears throat> during the week that are kind of designated for me. And uh, so taking him to school on the way there, and I'm very tempted just to hop in the car and just put, the, put reggae on and just cruise, right? I'm talking with it. I'm tired. It's in the morning. I'm not a morning person at all. And, and so neither is he. Uh, well, kind of, but I mean, he's, I mean, and anytime we have a conversation, he's six, you know, I ask him, so, hey, man, how you doing? The answer is always good, right? 
But even earlier that morning when we're getting ready for school or even at night, I will, if I know I'm going to take him to school, I will in bed think what are ways that I can sharpen my, my parenting skills and not just say, hey, so how you doing? Good. But I can ask him a certain question and begin to have conversation with him. And so I'll ask him, hey, Seabass, like, where are you at with Jesus, man? How are you doing in your walk with God? Like, what's, what's going on? And, you know, he's kind of like, forces him to think. And he contemplates. Hey, you know, how, what's bothering you in life? Everything all right? Yeah, Dad, there's this one school. He's kind of, kid at school, he's kind of pushing me around. Oh, what's his name? We'll, we'll deal with this right now, right? Let's go. Back of the playground, come on. Now, this is just one area of many where we need to sharpen our axe. We need to use wisdom in an area where we do daily life, where we need to step back from the picture of mundaneness and look and say, God, am I doing what I'm doing using your wisdom? That might be true for your marriage. You know, I mean, the cell phones today are ruining our marriages, our families, and our parenting skills and our relationship with our kids. We spend more time touching and looking and talking to our phones than we do our own spouses and kids or having conversation with our friends. I'm the worst, all right? I'm very guilty of this. But wisdom says, step back and look at the way your kids come up to you and say, Mommy and Daddy. And you don't even hear them because you're doing this. Or when you're sitting down watching the game or watching Sports Center, you already watched the game. You have to watch Sports Center on top of the game? Come on, right? When your wife is doing the dishes and dealing with the kids. Or for you single people, this is just as practical for you. That the habits that you do of just, all right, I'm going to download this next movie and watch this movie. You've got to burn time until God brings me another spouse and I'm going to do this. Or uh, not another spouse, a spouse. <laughs> Woo! <sighs> just killing time though, burning time. I mean, just gonna, I'm going to wait for God to bring the perfect person to me and I'm not going to grow my relationship with God because I'm going to work on that when. No. Use wisdom. How can we be intentionally sharpening our souls so we would grow an affection and love for one another and ultimately, ultimately grow in love and affection for Jesus who deserves all of us? We should be sharpening the axes of our lives. But it is not done by your might all right, church? It is not by, done by your power, but it is the Spirit of God doing that at work in you. Verse 12, <clears throat> the words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of the fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, but the end of his talk is evil madness. I love that. He starts out, Kind of like an idiot, but then in the end, you know he's a complete idiot. It's madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The f- toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. So this person talks a lot, moves a lot, does a lot. But in the end, he's getting nothing done. Nothing is accomplished. No new things are being foreseen. He doesn't even know the way to this city. Nothing is really said. Meaning he doesn't have vision or direction for his life. That in his folly, he is ignorant to what God has required him or her. And we know that a life apart from God is meaningless, purposeless, directionless. 
This guy doesn't have purpose because he is not in the word of God and he is not asking God what he is required of him and how he can best be used and effectively being a child of God where God has placed him. And in talking about the will of God, we're not talking about Taco Bell or L&L. We're not talking about short hair or long hair. What we are talking about is actively pursuing and growing closer to Jesus in daily life. And oh, how many Christians don't even know what God has required of them and they don't have a vision for their life. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have direction for your life? You should. Proverbs says, without vision, the people perish. And it's interesting because that word for vision in the original language means word of God. So without having a revelation, without coming to the word of God, your life is meaningless, your life is purposeless, and we do not have a direction for where we should go. And if you don't know where to go, you do not know what you should be doing. If you don't know where to go, you are not going to know what you should be doing. So get a vision for your life. And just so you know, the vision you need for your life, everything you need is found in here. And in the end, know this, that the vision should be scriptural, the vision should be vertical, give glory to God, and the vision for your life should ultimately uh, look like the, the, the vision that Jesus gave every single one of us that is the mission of making disciples. Making disciples. Verse 16 and on describes the visionless, the missionless, the directionless soul. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. That basically just means when your king is immature and when those who are in leadership are getting drunk in the morning. Woe to you. Caution. (laughs) Good advice. And happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your prince is the feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through the sloth, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. See, when we don't have boundaries, when we indulge in, other th- in the things other than what God has required of us, when we don't restrain, but we live carelessly and we focus on what we want instead of what God wants, what he says here is the roof caves in on your life. That even in the place of rest, which is your home, your soul, is restless, and there's no rest to be found there. It is no longer a place of refuge, but it is vanity under the sun. Bread, verse 19, nineteen. bread is made for laughter. Why does he always have to bring up food? Like every, like, chapter, food, food, food. Like, I must love food. But, Again, bread is made for laughter. Wine gladdens life. Money answers everything. Now, we've been in Ecclesiastes long enough to know he's not saying money, wine, and food is the answer to everything in life. We know that. He's made that pretty evident and clear. We can't find meaning and purpose, what he's saying, in the things that we have, but like money or food, um, you can't find purpose in them, but you can use them for great purposes. Like if God's giving you a big paycheck, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. If he's giving you a small paycheck, that also is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And money helps you rent a place, buy a place, provide for the practical needs of life. Food is wonderful. It feeds you, right? Food is a good thing. It's a good thing. It can be used to bless others. 
saying use the possessions that God has given you, not to possess you, but use the possessions that God has given you to bless others. And he closes with this in verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or someone, some winged creature will tell the matter. Ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. You know, I just, I just, you know, you're just having a light conversation about something, and you're just like, oh, I'm just talking, and you say like a thousand things about nice things about this one person, and you say maybe one slightly negative thing. Before you know it, all the aunties, all the uncles, all your cousins, everyone on the island knows about it through the coconut wireless. You're like, what? Did you not hear everything nicely said? And then you heard that one thing. What? He says, hey, word gets out. A wise man takes caution with his mouth because James, the book of James said, with our tongue, is, it's a little rudder that can give direction to our life and it can cause great Destruction with what little we say. But the wise man, he doesn't even talk trash about him publicly. The wise man laying in bed at night doesn't talk trash on others when he's on his bed. Because I I think I've grown. I mean, I've learned to keep my mouth shut um, in conversation because I'm quick to my feet, and I've, I can say a lot of things that are not nice often. But you know what I do at night in bed? As I, I fantasize, and I think of all the things that I could have jabbed him with and got him at. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of no, the wise man doesn't even do that. Wise man doesn't even do that. A wise man, in the end, he says, takes caution. A wise man lives with wisdom that is from above. Because a wise man knows that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against rulers and against authorities. Against cosmic powers. A wise man knows that this battle is so much bigger than ourselves that it's gone cosmic on us. Star Trek without the aliens. But we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we need wisdom. We need to take caution to be awakened to the battle that is at hand. And the way that we do that is you and I need God. We need God to come and to take our hearts and incline them towards him. For that is what we read in verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had to examine the caution that is given to us. To look at this practical wisdom, that wisdom is more better. That wisdom is better than living in folly but that it is not our wisdom, that it is not us looking to you and saying to you, I know what is best for my life, but true wisdom is saying, no, God, I need to humble myself and I need to trust in you, God, with all my heart so that I would not lean on my own understanding. And so now, God, we want to acknowledge you that you do know what is best for our life. Make our path straight. Take our wretched hearts and incline them towards your righteousness. Jesus, how we need you. Oh, Jesus, how we are so desperate for you. And maybe this morning you have lived in your own wisdom, lived in your own understanding. You have been warned. You have been cautioned through scripture, through friends. Please ask God, the Holy Spirit, to transcend and invade in all of your sin and all of my sin. And God, would you 
show us the way of wisdom. If there is fly, flies in the ointment of your life right now, confess that to God. God, we want to be a holy people, set apart to reach more people. Give us a vision of your son. Give us a vision to make disciples. Holy Spirit, kickstart our souls to rekindle the passion for lost people. And for us to live in wisdom in our daily lives so that we would not just work in our life, but that we would work on our life. And Holy Spirit, supply us as a people, as a church, to continue to press on, to move forward, to move further and deeper to what you have required and called us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus. our finances. And so you can take this time now to prepare your tithes and your offerings uh, before the Lord. Um, You can do that through a check. Write out your checks to Shorebreak Church. You can give online if you forgot all of those things throughout the week at shorebreakchurch.com.